Okay, um, I'm here today with Kendall Smith, and uh, Kendall, very excited to have you on the uh, on my podcast. So thank you for joining me. Um, sure. Hi. Thank you for having me. <laughs> sure. So I'm going to tell a little about Kendall. I, I ran across her on Twitter, and so that it's proof that not everything in social media is terrible because that's how we found each other. She's a lifelong learner and educator. Uh, and a few years ago, she was months away from a milestone birthday. I'll let you decide if you're going to tell us what that is. And <laughs> found herself feeling like she was missing out on something, on kind of the big thing in her life. So she put everything into storage, rented a room by the week from family, and lived around the world for a year. And so following that, she took those lessons that she learned um, on that journey and that she put them into her first book, uh, Follow Your, and I think that's pronounced Fernweh. It, that's the German. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And, yeah. and, and really it's in the hopes the rest of us can find some inspiration and practical steps to pursue our dreams. So Kendall, so let me first say I, I bought your book for a family member. I, I told you that the other day. And um, so I only got to read the first three chapters before she went, she left because I got it on us. Uh, she left on Sunday to go home. Um, I'm going to have to buy it because I will say, it's very engaging. I mean, you are just, uh, you immediately, uh, it, like, I feel like I know you, even just from the introduction. So tell me a little bit about Fernfay. What What is that? Yeah, thank you. Thanks for saying that, too. It's funny. Um, I'm one of those funny folks that makes lifelong friends on airplanes um, and just connects with people really instantly. So I'm glad that comes through you know, even when you're reading it. Um, a lot of the beta readers readers or early readers of the book um, have been people who already know me. So it's nice to know that when you're reading it and, you know, this is the first time you and I have actually talked mm -hmm. that that comes through. So thanks for saying that. Um, I probably do the American pronunciation and say Fernway. And it's a German word that means uh, sort of the opposite of homesick, actually. So uh, in German, they have a word Heimweh or Heimweh, um, which means the same as homesick, which we're more used to. But then they have this word Fernway that literally means away sickness. So it's sort of a deep longing or an ache for faraway places. And when I found this word, I was really looking for a way to describe sort of this feeling I had had my whole life and this adventure I was about to have, as you mentioned, uh, traveling the world. And um, full disclosure, I was actually looking for a catchy hashtag to put on my pictures for uh. this year's travel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I had been searching sort of, you know, wanderlust is a word that we're really familiar with when it comes to travel and adventure. Um, but that just didn't feel quite right. And somewhere along the way, I found Fernway and this sense that we have sort of this longing or this ache for places that we've never been, but we know they are sort of made for us or we know they are for us. Um, I really connected with and really related to as I was starting that year of travel. I like that. It it sounds more intentional than wanderlust, you know, like, think, yeah. So that's interesting. So tell me, so how I've read part of your book, of course, I read the, the first three chapters. And so this is really for people that haven't seen it, but tell me a little bit about this, this firm way that you were experiencing and how it came about and, and, I mean, you know, putting all your stuff in storage, renting a room by the week and, and hitting the road is is a pretty bold move. But so can you talk a little about the the background? And and, and I want to say 
one more thing before you go into that. Um, you are a very open person. And so I think anybody that, that reads your book is really going to feel like they're getting some raw honesty. And I think that's a really powerful way to communicate because it, it doesn't feel like you decided to have a trip and then write about it. I mean, it really feels mm-hmm. like I'm right there alongside you. So tell me a little bit about how you knew that you were experiencing this and what got you started. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, and I think, you know, I think to your point, it wasn't just, it, this isn't just a travel book. I mean, I do talk about some of my travel adventures, but this is really, I've been talking about it in terms of it being a personal development memoir, because I think a lot of people can relate to this idea of having a longing for things that are far away. And if you made it through chapter two, I feel like you sort of, um, you sort of had to give your book away on a cliffhanger chapter. Yes. <laughs> so we'll have to make sure you get another one. But um, but yeah, so and I don't mind sharing what the milestone birthday was. Um, a few years back, I was about to turn 40. And I had been living in Silicon Valley in California, which is, you know, sort of the Bay Area. It's where all the tech companies are. And I had this incredible job and I had this incredible group of friends Um, And that I had been sort of living in tandem with for the last 15 or so years. And what sort of hit me that year, um, it was my birthdays in September. And I was, you know, in January of that year, I was sort of setting my goals and kind of evaluating, you know, what I wanted the year to look like and just realized there was this big piece that was missing. There was sort of this unscratched itch or this undiscovered place. And I didn't know at the time what it was, but I knew I needed to start asking myself some questions. And especially it started to hit home when I realized that, you know, a friend of mine who's, um, you know, whose son uh, hadn't yet been born or, or he was just born the year I turned 30, we were about to celebrate his 10th birthday. And so, you know, year after year, I had been sort of joining my friends on these major milestone events for them um, of getting married and having kids. And when you're sort of a, a you know, still a successful and content single adult, um, it's hard to sort of figure out what your place is when you don't have those maybe typical milestones that a lot of other folks have. Yep. And so I really had to ask myself, you know, I had to stop doing the sort of comparing to I don't have this or I don't have ask myself with what I uniquely have in my life right now, this kind of crazy flexibility and this incredible opportunity, how big and loud can I sort of um, expand out or blow out that opportunity rather than trying to fit my life into someone else's lane. You know, I needed to sort of look left or look right and realize there's a different lane for me and I am not out as I can. And that's, that's sort of how, and I, I also sort of came to kind of a, you know, a personal crisis that really for me was a rock bottom. I don't think everybody has to hit, you know, a, kind of an emotional rock bottom. Um, in order to discover their path, but I did that year. Um, and out of that really came, you know, when you, when you sort of, when you sort of realize, okay, it's either, it's either go big or, or don't, you know, go big Mm -hmm. or kind of waste away. Um, I I had to, I had to choose go big that year. So. Well, it certainly worked out for you. Um, so we got to talk about Moana because I've got grandkids (laughs) and I've seen Moana many times. Um, (laughs) And I, by the way, I cry at movies as well. So I, I know for, for you, it, it was also because it was touching on your heartstrings and this, yeah. this uh, yearning. But uh, so tell, do you mind telling the story about watching Moana and, and what happened? 
No, not at all. So, so actually I saw Moana, um, the summer after it was like a whole year, almost after my year of travel. And I had sort of had this year of travel that didn't just open up my life and didn't just open up all these incredible opportunities. It actually changed everything. So at the end, you know, to, to fast forward to the punchline at the end of that year of travel, um, I left the job that I had been in for almost, you know, the, the company I'd been working for for almost 20 years. Um, I relocated my entire life to Boston and started with an organization that really just kept expanding my travel adventures. So the summer before I moved to Boston, I had all my stuff packed and ready for the movers to come and pick up. And my niece and nephew were in town with my brother. And, you know, the other kind of random note about my family is that my brother and his kids and wife live in Japan. Japan. So when they come, they, mm -hmm. yeah. So when they come to visit, they come for, um, you know, long periods of time. So we had a whole month in that summer before I moved to Boston of, you know, dance parties and pool parties and s'mores in the backyard. And so we were tired and we were tan and we were, you know, just really bonded together as a family. And, um, and we watched Moana. I had never seen it. My aunt, uh, my, my niece, um, I'm her aunt. <laughs> my niece had never seen it. My mom had never seen it. So we're sitting on the couch and, you know, the, 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 the beautiful songs, of course, I mean, who, you know, if you're a crier, Disney's going to get you every time. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're so good at that. But, um, but, you know, when the story of Moana came up and she sort of has this big expectation or this big calling on her life that isn't really her. And she keeps just looking out to the waves and she keeps knowing that there's something out in the ocean and you know i talk about it in the book not just the soft tickly waves for her feet but the big crashing waves where the water is deep and dark and it's foreign and yet somehow that feels like home and like familiar to her and so embarking on an adventure is really her only option to sort of discover who she is um i just started to ball <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah on it's, the cusp of moving to Boston. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say it's it's amazing how our spirit talks to us. You, you never know where it's going to come from, you yeah. know, and 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 I know you're a person of faith as well. I'm going to ask you about that in a minute, but yeah. uh it is amazing to me because we do have these these moments that you know, that you don't expect. And one of the things you talk about in your book, uh, again, I, I, I got through three chapters, so I'm not quite in a big cliffhanger, but I'm, I'm pretty much <laughs> left hanging. But but yeah. you talk about how sometimes, and I forget the exact wording, you'll have to help me, but you, basically you have this longing or this this thing that's, the, and sometimes it's real quiet. It's that you've almost ignored it or forgotten it. And then sometimes it's really loud and, you know, you can't ignore it. Um, I forget exactly how you worded it, but it was you know, that, that people may be busy in their lives and, but they can tell there's just something in their soul that's telling them there's something else for them or something they yeah. need to do. And, and I know that, that you wrote the book. I mean, the book's not just a memoir. You wrote it with a purpose, I believe. Right. Yeah, I did. And yeah. Talk no, to sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, tell me a little about that. And, and, and I'm going to tag on to that, that when I read the reviews, you've got amazing reviews on Amazon, by the way. So that's Thank that's you. good. But uh, one person, I forget exactly how they said it, but it was something along the lines that they expected to read kind of a, a little travel book and kind of vicariously live through you. But you call to them in this 
you know, the book almost immediately starts telling the reader, look at yourself, look at the things that you're doing in your life and what, you know, where your yearnings are. And so I, I think that's a real powerful message. So tell me a little about how you kind of got there or decided to, to write this book as something more than just this is Kendall's trip, you know, around the world. Yeah, it's such a great question. What I discovered, because it was interesting when I first told people I was going to do this trip, the reactions were pretty polarized. It was either that's incredible or sort of a subdued version of your nuts. Yes. <laughs> and what I realized is the more I traveled, the more I came home, you know, periodically and told my stories, the more people saw my pictures, it moved into a phase kind of middle of the year of just genuine curiosity with maybe a hint of, um, of, of, I don't want to say envy, but almost like longing, maybe that's a better word. Uh And then by the end of the year, I felt like I had maybe had a little bit of credibility in terms of pursuing a dream. And so the more I talked about this idea of Fernway, of something that calls to us from far away, and the more I sort of lived it, I also started to discover that I actually think we all have something. And to your point, it can be something quiet that calls to us deep in our soul, um, or it can be something huge that just won't leave us alone. And... um, And what's interesting is I think Fernway is often attached to, you know, and and Germans, I think, mean it in their language as physical places. But I sort of adopted it and started talking about it in terms of just the deep longings of our heart. And it's oftentimes, you know, so to your point, I wrote this book in part to give other people permission to do the same thing I had done. And what's so interesting to me is I've talked to people where, and I wrote about this in the book, a a dear friend of mine, her passion and her purpose and her desire of her heart is to create beautiful art through her pottery. Yes. Yeah. That lives in people's families for generations. And she literally does it from her garage in the rainy Pacific Northwest. You know, I I read that I got chills when I read that, when the, the idea that she's, giving them this gift of creativity she's done or this creative gift and and pictures in it is really something that's going to live as you said for generations that really resonated yeah well and I've had it's so funny because I've had multiple people that have told me that they've stopped because I mentioned the name of her her, you know her her business and Uh I've had multiple people tell me that they've stopped reading the book in the middle of that chapter to get on her website and try to get some of her pottery and (laughs) she's always sold out (laughs) yeah I I did too (laughs) you did oh yeah (laughs) yeah and it's I mean her work is beautiful and she's created this art you know this community of artists up there and um you know she's also someone that when she told her friends she wanted to sell her art and create a website, they, they kind of mocked her for it. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's something that, that to your point about, I wrote this book for other people. Um, something that was huge for me was I had to give myself permission to have this adventure. And the more I talked, like I said, the more I talked with other people about, I think we all actually have a deep longing in our heart. Um, the more I, I realized that I was actually watching people feel like they were being given permission to, to even acknowledge that it, that it lived there and to even acknowledge that they had it. And so over the course of the year of my travel, I, I had, you know, the, the, the longer I was out on the road, the longer I was out there, people would come back and say, or I would come back and my friends would tell me, you know, we've started traveling more as a family because of what we've seen you do. 
Um, I had another set of friends that moved abroad to London to live for a year. Um, and do I take credit for that? No, but I think you start finding yourself in a community of people that are doing similar things. Um, so that people could not just hear about my travels, which are in there. I, I recommend, you haven't gotten to this part, but I recommend the best place in Rome for you know fried artichokes. Um, so there is a little bit of that too. <laughs> but But it's a lot of how do you sort of map out what a journey like this would look like, whether it's going back to school, whether your Fernway is building the family of your dream. Um, it doesn't have to be travel. It can be anything that calls to you from, from deep in your heart. Um, and just one more thing on that note, I actually find that um, in talking with folks and in looking at my own, my own Fernway, cause I think we have more than one, you know, I think it's possible to have more than one in your life. Um, I actually think it's the thing that we try to tell to be quiet. It's the thing that we try to ignore. It's the thing that feels like it will overwhelm us with disappointment or um, or a feeling of failure if we if we try it. And that's those are oftentimes good diagnostic tools of that's actually the thing I should lean into. You know, that's a really good point. And I, I do like that you... Um took it beyond travel. I'm not a big traveler, but I'd yeah. love to do, you know, I, I love to, to put myself into things. I don't know if you listen to my podcast about uh, living uh, with passion in your life, but mm. I touch on that a little bit with, with that particular episode, but it's, and it is interesting what you're saying though, because yeah, if, if there's something you keep trying to push away, uh, there's a reason it keeps coming back at you, you know? And, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's a, I hadn't thought of that. That's really amazing. So tell me, how this <laughs> with your uh, well yeah we're gonna get to the no but I, I know that you um I think you mentioned that your your core group there that um you know just as you were approaching your 40th birthday which by the way I would have I'm saying this in all honesty I would have never guessed you're that old based on your pictures in fact when I gave the <laughs> when I gave the book to uh my sister-in-law and uh I said something about, yeah, when she was getting close to 40, she said, do this. And she says, well, who's this on, you know, this can't be her on the cover. So you, <laughs> you must be living at least an honest life. So, um, you know, um, yeah. but tell me, tell me, it seems like you had mentioned that the people around you, some of that also kind of revolved around church and, and mm-hmm. stuff. So tell me a little about how your faith plays into this. And, and, I, and I know it's important because you even, I think it was chapter two. That's the kind of the chapter leading up to you needing to make a change. You were even writing down some of your prayers and you shared that, which, which to me showed you were exposing some of the most personal things that you Mm -hmm. could. So tell me how your faith played into this. Did you, did you, did you feel this was a, a, a calling from God? Did you, did you pray about it? Did you feel, I mean, kind of what happened? Yeah, that's such a great question. And I think um, I did put some of my journal entries in there. Um, I wanted people to be in those spaces with me. And I felt like my own words from back in those days were the best way to do that. Um, to your point, they were also there's also some really painful ones in there, painful journal entries in there and painful moments. Um, and, you know, I sort of had to ask myself, I'm putting this into a book and I have no control over where this is going to land or who's going to read it. But it's the truth about my story. And to your point, I, I sort of had to just trust that um, with this particular Fern way of writing a book, this particular deep longing of my heart, that 
I felt like God had really, you know, kind of created a whole vision for how this would look. And so I just have to trust that. And I'm sure there are folks that it's not going to resonate for. I'm sure there's folks that, um, you know, they might have an opinion about it one way or the other. Um, but all I can do is sort of lean into that trust. And I think that this year of travel that I started, you know, when I turned 40 and even the months before kind of getting ready for it, um, really pushed the boundaries of my faith. And one of the first conversations that I had with God of January, in January of that year was, um, I feel like I just sort of set these goals every year of things I want to accomplish, but I haven't actually let you into dreams that are, you know, the impossible dreams that I have for my heart and things that I really would hope to happen that are just so big and so overwhelming that I could only rely on God to help make them happen. And I think the first thing I had to do was really admit they were there and then let him in on it <laughs> through my mm -hmm. prayers and through reading of scripture. Um, and, and that's sort of how that started. And then along the way, the more I said, you know, okay, God, like the next domino that has to fall is I need my, my employer to be okay with this. Um, the next domino that has to fall is I need the timing of my housing to line up. You know, the next thing that I need is a place to put all my stuff and to stay. And the more I just sort of step-by-step step said, can you help me with this? Can you help me plan here? And, you know, I think the picture I had in my mind was sort of holding the whole thing with open hands and being willing to say, if this isn't, if this isn't the way it's going to go, I'm okay with that, but I'm going to, every step that comes my way, I'm going to take the next step on the journey until there is no more path in front of me. Um, yeah. So I think that's sort of where it started. Wow. That's, I, I love that. I also love that along in there, you would have had excuses to say, well, guess I can't do it because this didn't happen, you know, or whatever. And, and, but it kept opening up. So how, how'd you decide where to go? Like what? I mean, if I were just going to, I'm not a big traveler, so, but if I were just going to suddenly see the world, I, I don't even know where I'd start. Like, what did you, and, <laughs> yeah. and I do know that you mentioned about your, your family growing up with the, with the map, uh, I think over the, the breakfast or dining room table or something. And, yeah. uh, and I have a huge obsession with the map. So I really dug that part, but so tell me how you decided where to go. Yeah. Do you have maps up in your house? I don't have them in my house, but I'm on Google Earth all the time. I, I, all the time, I, yeah. When I was a kid, I would, um, I had one of those uh, road atlases that had all the states, you know, like the 50, uh, yeah. the big. And uh, anytime we traveled, uh, usually it was just to my grandparents, but I would always follow where we were going. But then I would take these little trips in my mind off on these roads and follow them. And I just was always fascinated with maps. And I don't know how I didn't become a traveler, but uh, but I, I'd love even uh, before the internet, I would buy travel books and would read yeah. about traveling in Rome or something and just would enjoy the, the concept. And so, yeah. you know, but I don't, so how'd you decide kind of where you were going to go? Where to go? I feel like we could do a whole nother episode and geek out about maps. <laughs> I think so. I'll stick, yeah. I'll stick to the question that you've asked. <laughs> um, so I think for me, you know, sometimes it is helpful to have some kind of constraints or some type of framework. And so for me, 
um, I was working for an organization at the time that had offices. I was a kind of a regional uh, VP and I was working for an organization that had offices around the country and then London and Australia. And so I, part of my mission on this adventure trip was to see more places in the world. And part of it was also to really discover a new city in the US that I might want to live in because I was ready for a change outside of Silicon Valley. And so I had a conversation with my manager and thank God she said yes <laughs> and thought it was a great idea um, of just can I, because I, I could work anywhere where there was internet and a phone line. And this was before remote work was a thing. Um, yeah. As long as I was in one of our offices and lucky for me, there were 60 or so of them. And so I sort of just pitched this idea. And then what I did is I mapped out um, I mapped out a mix of places and cities that I either wanted to spend more time in or get to know better just for the fun of it or as a potential place to relocate. And then I also um, thought about time of the year. So for example, I had two big blocks of time where uh, two of this two of the places I wanted to go, were uh, they were San Diego and then the Pacific Northwest. Well, my blocks of time were February and then summer. So it's not a hard choice to know that you want to do summer in the Pacific Northwest right. in February exactly. in San Diego. Um, and then, you know, I, I planned around, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a strategist in terms of how I think about things. And so in November, I had three paid holidays. So I said, I already have three days that will be paid and off work. And then I have some vacation time. So uh, and I had friends living in Germany. So November, including Thanksgiving in Europe is is where it's at. So I boarded a, an overnight flight on Halloween and I landed in uh, London Heathrow November 1st. And I spent that entire month um, in uh, in Europe. And what I did is I actually worked out of our London office and then I took a couple long weekends. So I did a weekend in Edinburgh. A friend flew from Chicago for a five-day weekend and met me in Rome. We did Rome and the Amalfi Coast in five days. Wow. And then, yeah, and then I went and saw my friends who had just moved to Germany and they live in a pocket of Germany that's basically in the corner where Switzerland and France kind of all come together. So they actually buy their dairy products and their wine in, in France um, for their grocery shopping. That's how close they are. And so I went there and hit up, you know, all of those uh, countries in that pocket of the world and just got great time with some friends who are very, you know, dear to my heart. So that's sort of how I strategized it is just a mix of, you know, what are my goals? What am I exploring? Um, what do I have time for? And, you know, something on the list that I really wanted to get to was Australia and I never made it there. Um, and that's okay because it, you know, you sort of have to ebb and like we talked about earlier, you have to sort of ebb and flow with uh, the direction it's going. That makes sense. Uh, by the way, it's a beautiful part of the world. Uh, again, my map thing, my family, uh, back a few generations is from Switzerland. So I've always kind of looked around uh, down in that area and what it looks like yeah. and all. And so what was your, did you have any weird experiences, anything strange or unexpected happen? That funny story. I mean, what I got to guess something went wrong at some point or went right at some point that was really stuck out. Yeah. Can I, I have two actually, can I tell you two? Absolutely. <laughs> so one, I was actually um, about three quarters of the way. So this is kind of a kind of a, an unfortunate or kind of a not scary, but just a weird thing that happened. And I think this is a normal travel experience, or at least one of those kind of things could go wrong travel stories. Um, I was on a three, I had been on a three week trip. So I had been to Europe, London, 
New York, and the last stop was DC. And I was taking the Asila Express from Penn Station in New York City down to Washington, DC. And I had a huge suitcase full of three weeks of clothes and treasures that I had purchased. And I, you know, finally, I got a spot on the train. Um, I got one of those kind of seats at a table, so a four top, and it was right next to the luggage compartment. And I shoved my huge suitcase, you know, down um, underneath the, you know, at the bottom of the luggage compartment and the train, the train, the Asila Express is one that sort of pulls into these tiny platforms all along New England and the Eastern seaboard, I should say, um, from New York to DC. And so you have about five minutes at each platform, people get on and off and then they find a seat and it's not a big bustling station. It's literally a place where, you know, the local folks drive up and get on the train. And, I'm sitting there and I have my purse open and I'm reading my book and I was chatting with the fellas that sat down next to me. And I hear, we come into a, a station, I think somewhere, I don't know, Connecticut or Pennsylvania or something. And a huge, um, I hear this huge crash and I look and my suitcase is gone. Oh no. And, yeah. And I see this man and I see him and he's heading down the aisle towards the door. And I'm saying to him, excuse me, you took my suitcase. And I'm assuming he grabbed the wrong bag, which is, it tells you how nice I am. Um, <laughs> so, so I'm assuming he grabbed the wrong bag. Excuse me, excuse me. You have my bag. You have my bag. He's ignoring me. And so finally, and this is, this was less out of character for me at the time uh, or more out of character, I should say. Now that I've lived in Boston for four years, it's not a big deal. But I literally grabbed the handle on the back of his backpack and just jerked him back. And I said, you're taking my suitcase. And he kind of, feigned being startled and set it down and he got off the train but i literally was watching my bag about wow. to the train and i just had this moment of like it's either me or you know it, it, i have to choose myself in this moment and i have to stand up for myself and i have to say you're taking my stuff stop and i think that's a really important lesson for travelers along the journey is if if somebody tries to take your stuff, whether it's emotionally or physically, um, it's okay to say no and to stand up for yourself. So that was a huge, a huge lesson for me on multiple, multiple fronts. I can imagine that. Yeah, that's, and it's, it's so strange because you just don't expect someone to do that, you know? No, right. Kind of doing well, thing, I, you know? Right. And I realized later that um, I walked away from my purse, which was sitting on the table, which was oh. not the smartest, the smartest <laughs> move. Um, so luckily, all my stuff was still there when I came back. Um, and then the other story, I had this night out in Edinburgh, a friend of mine had suggested I couldn't decide which jacket or coat to take to Europe the first time I went. Um, you know, being from Northern California, our fashion sense is just not what they have in, in Europe. Mm -hmm. And a friend suggested, why don't you buy a coat when you're there? Because then it'll be a nice souvenir and it'll remind you of your trip and you'll be kind of stylized and all those things. So my first night out in Edinburgh, I found this coat and I took it with me to the, you know, to the local um, bar that was called Scotch. And they had every kind of Scotch that you could imagine. And I sat in this bar and I drank my Scotch on my own, it, feeling fantastic in Edinburgh, in Scotland. And then I tied my coat at the, you know, at the waist. And I'm, I'm walking down the street and this local woman, this Scottish woman, asked me for directions. And when she heard my American accent, she looked very startled. She was a Scottish woman uh -huh. and she looked so startled. And I had this moment of like, this is exactly where I want to be right now because I had wanted to move through spaces like a local, like, an, like a local, right. not like a travel, not like a, not like a tourist. Yeah. And, um, and so it was so cool to just have this moment of like, I'm only a couple months into this and I'm already feeling at home in a space that's not not my own but i feel at home here so it was really neat 
I love that. I love that. Yeah. So you you strike me as someone that that is comfortable in unusual situations or unusual places, at least. Obviously, <laughs> um, is have you always been that way? I mean, are you someone that's never really like? I know some people going into a strange uh, city or strange building or anything, it, it would just completely throw them off. Um, sounds like you kind of live there. I do, but to your to your question, no, I haven't always been that person. I think if my friends from, you know, or my classmates from growing up and from high school um, encountered me now, they might be surprised because I was always sort of the quiet one in the corner. I never raised my hand or asked questions. I was a social butterfly on the side in environments that I was um, comfortable in. But I think a lot of this has come from you know, maturity, confidence, having more experiences, risking. Um, I mean, even today, you know, um, doing something like this, you know, we we haven't scripted this out. We haven't planned this out. And I think that can be nerve wracking for a lot of folks. But the question I ask myself is, you know, would I, would I rather sit on the sidelines and miss out and wish that I hadn't, you know, that I had done it? Or would I rather go for it and make a mistake and fall forward? And I think the more you fall forward, the more you have experiences that build your, your confidence and build your repertoire of experience, um, the easier it gets and the more fun it gets, to be honest. No, so, I agree. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm very extroverted. So I enjoy meeting people and, and things like that. And so, um, but I know a lot of introverts don't. And so yeah. I, I, I love that you, you have found a way. Well, I mean, it's, it's reinforcing, like when you do it, and like you mentioned, when you were in Scotland and you have this experience, you suddenly have this, oh, this is what I was meant to do, you know, and it, and it really gives you more confidence, I think, it, and you look for those experiences more. It does, um, yeah. I love that. So, yeah. So tell me, um, you wrote this book really for other people. This wasn't just a, a self-serving thing that you did, but it, but it was really something that you did for, for others. Are you hearing from people? Uh, have you had people reach out to you since they've, they've gotten your book or people that have read early scripts of it or anything that have, that have talked about how it's impacted them? Yes. Um, yes. And I've been, I mean, the book has been out. I, like I said, I had sort of an early um, reading group that gave me some feedback, but officially the group, the book has been out for a week and I have been overwhelmed with, I mean, I've gotten selfies of people crying on the, on the tea in Boston oh. um, <laughs> over certain chapters. Um, I've had people tell me, you know, to, I think you mentioned this earlier. I had a friend say, um, you know, I, I wanted to read this because I love and support you. And, and I, I love our conversations, but I had no idea this was going to kind of kick my butt when I read it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've had other friends that have said, I need to come back to this again and again, because um, this is really pushing a lot of my buttons. Um, and, uh, and these are conversations I have with my friends. And this is sort of the role that I have in a lot of spaces or, or a, a place that I'm comfortable, which is kind of challenging and pushing beliefs about things. And so I try to do some of that in the book. Um, on a real tangible level, I have a friend who's an aspiring author, and she had sort of been, you know, hedging or holding back a little bit on taking the next step, which for her was to reach out to some editors. And she finished my book and called called an editor. Um, I have another friend who's an aspiring writer and is sort of stuck on the draft piece. And so she booked a solo writer's retreat to Tuscany for herself um, coming up in the next few months here. And I have another friend who 
you know, she, she sat down and she's very organized. So she sat down and sort of made different categories of the different types of dreams that she has and the hope for herself, her own Fernway. And one of them she's talked to her husband about before and one she's never told him about. And I love it because, yeah, because she said, I finally sat down and I told him about this crazy dream or idea that I think I've always had. And he listened and he thought for a minute and he sort of turned his head and he said, okay, let's do it. Wow. (laughs) That is so cool. I love that. Yeah. And I think that's the response I got from a few people in my journey as well as I think we put up our own roadblocks. I think we tell ourselves, we, we try to, we try to say no for other people mm-hmm. instead yep. of trusting that they might actually want to be in on something really great with us. No, I think that's a real good point. I, I think we either worry that they're not going to approve or, or be supportive and we don't give them that chance. Mm. And I also you've, you've used this term a couple of times and I think it's really perfect. And that is giving yourself permission, you know, Mm -hmm. whether it's permission to dream or permission to pursue something. um, You know, I think so many times we, I mean, I I talk to people all the time. I've got a lot of employees and, and sometimes it's about their careers and I've got friends and it's amazing to me how many times I've heard people say, you know, I always wanted to whatever paint. I've always wanted Mm -hmm. to travel. I've always wanted to whatever, but they never let loose and, and, and there's never the right time, you know, that it's always an excuse uh, that, well, this was going on, that was going on. So I think you really touched on how, you know, uh, sometimes you've got to just, as you say, lean in and to those dreams and listen to what your, your heart is telling you, whether, and, and again, whether you believe it's, it's God speaking to you, whether you believe it's, it's coming from within yourself or whatever, you know, it's you're not going to be satisfied if you leave it alone and push it away. Well, and it's the the question I sort of ask myself along this journey is, you know, are people who have been world changers any different than the rest of us in terms of what they're capable of, or are they only different because they said yes to something that scared them? Yeah. Because right. That's powerful. (laughs) That is very powerful. Yeah. And I think we have to give ourselves permission to be new. We have to give ourselves permission to fail. Um, you know, to your point about what people believe, I I firmly believe that um, there is a God who loves us deeply and who made each of us for something powerful. And he wants us to live that out loud and live it well, um, in part so that our lives are whole and in part so that other people can see it and their lives can be whole as well. Um, and so that's that has become so much more clear to me, not just through the year of travel, but through the process of actually writing about it and organizing you know, my thoughts um, and, and kind of helping other people see it also. And I think if I can just add one more thing about that, you know, I've talked about some of the highlights and how incredible it was. And you know, I got to live all over the world for a year. Um, but it was also the hardest year of my life. Um, I lost, you know, a love um, during that year. I lost a best friend of 15 years. We had a falling out. Um, I lost a friend to cancer. I lost a mentor to cancer. Um, you know, I, at the end of that year, I changed the career I had had for almost two decades. Um, and I think it, we have to keep, 
I think it's okay. I had to give myself permission to sit down and, and take a minute to take a pause and work through some of those things. But it's not worth getting distracted or, or telling ourselves, well, I have to stop now, or I can't go forward because of this thing, you know, and, and I don't mean to oversimplify. I mean, we have, we have loss, we have things that happen, we've got to deal with it, but not get derailed completely from this thing that we know is, is made for us. Um, is yeah. meant for us. That, so. and, and I get that. Yeah. Cause your, your life path, whatever you're going on or where you're headed, you're right. I mean, life, there's a lot of painful things that occur mm-hmm. and, and, um, you know, we have to find a way to, to manage that, but not let ourselves get consumed by it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think in, in fact, it, it's uh, at, at the risk of going to another, I don't consider it a children's movie, but it is. I don't know if you ever <laughs> saw the. I don't know if you ever saw the movie inside out. Yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, you know, and the, the whole point of that movie, when you get to the end is that, uh, you know, when she realizes things aren't always pure joy, that there's some sadness with it too. And, and, you know, it just really that movie grabbed me as a with a background in psychology, especially I, I was, mm. you know, but it, it's it's one of those things where all of it is about growth and it's all about finding our way. And it's about, you know, when we do face those difficult events, how we respond to them and how we stay true to ourselves and true to our values, um, you know. And so, yeah, I think that it's interesting to me that this amazing year was also one of your toughest years because you, Mm -hmm. what you managed to do is find your way through it and stay true to what you, you know, to to your, your firm way. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's powerful. Well, if somebody, um, what would you advise? We've probably covered this, but let me just ask in another way. If somebody asked you, you know, I, I want to get started. You know, mm-hmm. I, I want to, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm aimless or I, 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 I haven't, you know, I don't feel fulfilled. I don't feel whatever. Um, other than read your book, which I would recommend <laughs> they do. What, 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 what advice would you give? You know, how do you find where your passions are? You know, how do you, how do you listen to your heart or, you know, what, what would you say? Yeah. I mean, I think it, to your point, I think it starts with figuring out, you know, if I were to coach someone, I would say, well, when you have had clarity in your life, what are the places that you go to get that clarity? Who are the people that you talk to? Do you pray and rely on God? Um, you know, do you have other sources of wisdom? And so, um, so I think I would start with what's worked for you in the past in terms of when you've known something at your very core that it's for, it's for you, it's the right thing for you. Um, and I, and I would help someone kind of tap into that first. And then what I would probably say, and I talk about this a little bit in the, in the beginning part of the book. So I, I've, I've broken the book down into five sections. And the first section is discover your fern way. And one of the things I talk about is what are some of the trail markers in your life? So the experiences that you've had in your past that just make you feel like you come alive and like you are home and like you are wholly yourself when you are in those spaces. And then something that was really interesting for me was to actually go back through my family tree because um, I come from a family that just a couple generations ago emigrated from Europe and left everything they knew behind. Um, and on the other side of the family, I come from kind of 
a fiercely independent line of maverick women. <laughs> mm -hmm. And and so those couple of things sort of helped me identify, wait a minute, a lot of this stuff that I do, that I think that I experience has been there in my family for a while. Um, and, you know, if you come from a family of acrobats and you have no interest in that whatsoever, maybe that's a good way to think about, well, then what was everyone else passionate about while you were over here doing something else? Right. Um, I think that kind of reflection on, on the past, both experiences and, uh, and a little bit of family history or just experiences can be, can be helpful. Okay. In terms of a starting place. <laughs> right. Right. Great. Well, um, I think we're about out of time. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we wrap up? No, I think I so appreciate you taking the time and really leaning in and and um, and sort of helping to talk through this. I know Fernway is such an odd word, but what I find is that as soon as people understand what it means, it, it there's a recognition in each of us that, oh, yeah, OK, I've got something. I've got something. Um, yeah. I might not be ready to tell you what it is. But yes, I, I recognize that something in my heart and in my spirit and in my brain recognizes what you're talking about. And so um, the thing I mean, I, I feel like I feel like my book is really helpful and really encouraging to people. And that's the feedback I've gotten. But um, but just in general, I want to encourage everyone that there is something there for you. There's something you were made for and uh, keep going after it until you find it. Amazing. Uh, well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Um, the book is on Amazon. You can find it. Um, it's either in paperback or on. Uh, there's a Kindle version, I believe, which yep. I'm going to be downloading so I can now finish the book because I was left hanging. Um, and I'm also going to be uh, just for the listeners going to be posting um, information about you as well as uh, your uh, different links to your social media on the website so they can go there, find you. So hopefully somebody will, um, you know, find this and enjoy it and you'll touch another life. It sounds like that's what you're, I think you have a bigger calling uh, that you may be aware of, and that is to touch other people's lives and help them to find their way. And I think you're doing that. So it's, it's, it's pretty wonderful. So thank you <laughs> thank again. You. Yeah. Thank you so much, Scott. It's been a delight to talk with you today. It's been wonderful. And you um, take care and I look forward to your next book. <laughs> okay. That's, I feel like you just pointed to the outfield. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> okay. Thank you so Thank much. You. Bye. Bye.